0: Incredible Adventures by Algernon Blackwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Patrick Seventy Nine. Story One The Regeneration of Lord Ernie. Part Ten. What stopped him he did not know some hard and steely thing pricked sharply into him an opposing power fierce as a sword stabbed at his heart and he heard a little sound quite close to him a sound that pierced the babel reaching his consciousness as from far away keep still cling tight to this old rock hold yourself in or they'll have you too it was as if some insect scratched within his ear his arm that same instant was violently seized he came down with a crash he had been half in the air he had been dancing turn your eyes away away take hold of this big tree the voice cried furiously but with a petty human passion in it that marred the world there was an intolerable revulsion in him as he heard it he felt himself dragged forcibly backwards he lost his balance stumbling among loose stones loose me let me go he shouted struggling like a wild animal yet vainly against the inflexible grip that held him i am the one with the fire that lights but does not burn i am the wind that blows the world along damnation take you let me free confusion caught him smothering speech and blinding sight he fell backwards away from the heat and the wind he was furious but furious with he knew not whom or what the interference had destroyed the rhythm broken it into fragments violent impulses crashed through him without the will to choose or guide him, for power had deserted him and flowed elsewhere. He stood no longer in the stream of energy, he was emptied, and at first he could not tell whether his instinct was to return to himself, to rescue his precious boy, or to crush the interfering object out of existence with what was left of him and his raging anger. He turned, stood up, and flung the pastor aside with violence. He raised his feet to stamp and kill, when a phrase with meaning darted suddenly across his wild confusion and recalled him to some fragment of truer responsibility and life. "'There'll be only violence in him—reckless violence instead of strength—destructive.' Save him before it's too late. It is too late he roared in answer. What devil hinders me? But his roar was feeble, and his ironed boots refused the stamping. Power slips wholly out of him. The rhythm poured past, instead of through him. Interference had destroyed the circuit. More glimmerings of responsibility came back, he stooped like a drunken man, and helped the other to his feet. The rapidity of change was curious, proving that the spell had been put upon him from without. It was not, as with the boy, mere development of pre-existing tendencies. Help me! he implored suddenly instead. Help me! There has been madness in me! For God's sake, help me to get him out! it seemed the face of the old marquis, stern and terrible, broke an instant through the smoky air, black with reproach and anger, and with a violent effort of the will, Hendricks turned round to face the elemental orgy, bent on rescue. But this time the heat was intolerable, and drove him back. The hair, hitherto untouched, now singed upon his head— fire licked his very breath away he bent double covering his face with arms and cloak pray shouted leysan dropping to his knees it is the only way my god is higher than this pray pray and automatically hendricks fell upon his knees beside him though to pray he knew not how for no real faith was in him as in the other and his eye was far from single. The fast-fading grandeur of what he had experienced still left its pagan tumult in his blood. The pretence of prayer could only have been blasphemy. He watched instead, letting the other invoke his mighty deity alone. That deity he had served unflinchingly all his life with faith and fasting, and with belief beyond assault it was an impressive picture fraught with passionate drama on his knees behind sheltering boulder a blackened pine tree tossing scorched branches above his head this righteous man prayed to his god sure of his triumphant answer hendricks watched with an admiration that made him realise his own insignificance the eyes were closed the leonine big head, set firm upon the diminutive body, the face now lit by flame, now veiled by smoke, the strong hands clasped together and upraised. Oh, he envied him! He recognized, too, that the elements themselves, with all their chaos of might and terror, were after all but servants of the vastness which dips the butterfly in colour and puts down upon the breasts of little robins. And, because the pastor's life had always been prayer in action, his little human will invoked the will of greatness, merged with it, used it, and directed it steadily against the commotion of these unleashed elements. Certain of himself and of his God, the pastor never doubted. His prayer, set instantly in action those forces which balance suns and keep the stars afloat. Thus, trembling with terror that made him wholly ineffective, Hendricks watched, and as he watched became aware of the amazing change. For it seemed as if a stream of power, steady and in opposition to the tumult, now poured audaciously against the elemental rhythm, altering its direction, modifying gradually its stupendous impetus. There were pauses in the huge vibrations. They wavered, broke, and fled. They knew confusion, as when the prow of a steel-nosed vessel drives against the tide. The tide is vaster, but the steel is... different. The whole sky shivered as this new entering force so small so soft yet so much incalculable energy began at once its overmastering effect signs of violence or rout or of anything disordered had no part in it excess before it slipped into willing harness there was light that sponged away all glare as when morning sunshine cleans a forest of its shadows some little whispering power sang marvellously as of old across the desolate big mountains, "'Peace! Be still!' turning the monstrous turbulence into obedient sweetness. And upon his face and hands Hendricks felt faint, delicate touches of some refreshing softness that he could not understand. Yet not instantly was his harmony restored. At first there was stress of vehement opposition. The night of wind and fire drove roaring through the sky. There were bursts of triumphant tumult, but convulsion in them, and no steadiness as before. The human figures hitherto had danced with that fluid appearance which belongs to fire, and with that instantaneous rush which is of the wind the men increasing the women, and the women answering with joy. Limbs and faces had melted into each other, till the circular ritual looked like a glowing wheel of flame rotating audibly. But slowly, now the speed of the wheel decreased. The single utterance was marred by the crying of many voices, all at different pitch, discordant, inharmonious, dismayed. The fires somehow dwindled, there came pauses in the wind, and Hendricks became aware of a curious hissing noise, as more and more of these odd soft touches found his face and hands. Here and there he saw a figure stumbled, fell, then gathered himself clumsily together again with a frightened shout breaking violently out of the circle. More and more of these figures blundered and dropped out, and although they returned again, so that the dance apparently increased, there were but moments in the final violence of the dispersing hurricane. The rejected ones dashed back wildly into the wrong places. Men and women no longer stood alternate, but in groups together falsely related." the entire movement was dislocated. The ceremony grew rapidly incoherent, meaning forsook it. The composite instrument that had transmuted the elemental forces into human emotional storage was imperfect, broken, out of tune. The disarray turned rout. And then it was— while Leysin continued without ceasing his burning and successful prayer, that his companion, conscious of returning harmony, rose to his feet, aware suddenly that he could also help. A portion of the powers he had absorbed still worked in him, but in a new direction. He felt confident and unafraid. He did not stumble with unerring tread he advanced towards the lessening fires, feeling as he did so the cold soft touches multiply with the rush upon his skin. From all sides they came, like messengers of help. "'Ernest!' he cried aloud, and his voice, though little raised, carried resonantly above the dying turmoil. "'Ernest! Come back to us!' Your father calls you!" And from threescore faces hurrying in confusion through the smoke, one paused and turned. It stood apart, hovering as though in air, while the mob of disordered figures rushed in a body along the ridge, plunging like frightened cattle below the farther edge. Then vanishing into thick darkness, they left behind them this one solitary face. A final dying flame licked out at it. A rush of smoke drove past to hide it. There was a high, wild scream, and the figure shot forward with a headlong leap and fell with a crash at Hendrick's feet. Lord Ernie, blackened by smoke and scorched by fire, lay safe outside the danger zone." and Hendricks knelt beside him. Remorse and shame made him powerless to do more as he pulled the torn clothing over the neck and chest, and heard his own heart begging for forgiveness. He realized his own weakness and faithlessness. A great temptation had found him wanting. It was owing to Lazan that the rescue was complete, the pastor was instantly by his side. "'Saved as by water!' he cried, as he folded his cloak about the prostrate body, and then raised the head and shoulders. "'Saved by his ministers of rain, for his miracles are love, and work through natural laws.' He made a sign to Hendricks, carrying the boy between them, they scrambled down the slope in the shelter of the trees below. The cold soft touches were then explained. The Joran had dropped as suddenly as it rose, and the torrential rain that invariably follows now poured in rivers from the sky. Water, drenching the fires and padding the savage wind, had stopped the dancers midway in their frenzied ritual it was the element they dreaded, for it was hostile. Rain soused the mountain's ridge, extinguishing the last embers of the numerous fires. It rushed in rivulets between their feet. The heated earth gave out a hissing steam, and the only sound in the spaces where wind and fire had boomed and thundered a little while before was now the splash of water and the drip of quenching drops. In the cover of the sheltering trees, the body stirred, lifted its head, and sat up slowly. The eyes opened. "'I'm cold, I'm frightened,' whispered a shivering voice. "'Where am I?' Only the pelt and thud of the rain sounded behind the quavering words where are the others have i been away hendricks mr hendricks is that you he stared about him his face now a mere luminous disk in the thick darkness no breath of wind was loose they spoke to him till he answered with assurance groping to find their hands with his own his words confused and strange with hidden meaning for a time. "'I'm all right now,' he kept repeating. "'I know exactly. It was one of my big dreams. I suppose I fell asleep—and the rain woke me. Great heavens! What a night to be out!' And then he clambered vigorously to his feet with a sudden movement of a great energy again, saying that hunger was in him, and he must eat. There was no complaint of heat or cold, of burning or of bruises. The boy recovered marvellously. In ten minutes, breaking away from all support, he led as they descended through the dripping forest in the gloom and chill of very early morning it was the others who called to him for guidance in the tangled wood lord ernie was in the lead throughout the difficult woods he was ever in front and singing fire that lights that does not burn the wind that blows the heart to flame they both are in me now for ever and ever o oh, praise the lord of fire and the lord of wind and this voice now near now distant sounding through the dripping forest on their homeward journey was an experience weird and unforgettable for those other two leysan it seemed had one sentence only which he kept repeating to himself heaven grant ye may direct it all for good for they have filled him to the brim, and he is become an instrument of power." But Hendricks, though he understood the risk, felt only confidence. Lord Ernie's regeneration had begun. Soaked and bedraggled, all three, they reached the village about two o'clock the boy utterly unmanageable said an emphatic no to spirits soup or medical appliances his skin indeed showed no signs of burning nor was there the smallest symptom of cold or fever in him i am a perfect furnace he laughed i feel health and strength personified and the brightness of his eyes his radiant colour the vigour of his voice and manner both in some way astonishing, made all pretense of assistance unnecessary and absurd. "'It's like a new birth!' he cried to Hendricks, as he almost cantered beside him down the road to their house. "'And by Jove, I'll wake him up at home and make the world go round!' "'I know a hundred schemes. I tell you, sir, I'm simply bursting, for the first time!' I'm alive!" And an hour later, when the tutor peeped in upon him, the boy was calmly sleeping. The candlelight, shaded carefully with one hand, fell upon his face. There were new lines and a new expression in it. Will and purpose showed in the stern set of the lips and jaw. It was the face of a man and of a man one would not likely trifle with. Purpose, will, and power were established on their thrones. To such a man the entire world might one day bow the head." If only it will last, thought Hendricks, as shaken, bewildered, and more than a little awed, he tiptoed out of the room again and went to bed. But through his dreams, sheeted in flame and veiled in angry smoke, the face of the old marquis glowed upon him from a heavy sky above the ancestral towers. End of Part 10